podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 27th of January, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, keep your information safe, and change your location should you want to access American Netflix, or if you're from the UK and want to use your Now TV outside the UK, it enables you to do that as well. LibertyShield.com is the website. They've got a hardware package and a software package. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off either at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. HomeofHopcroft.co.uk Right, folks. Last bit we're going to do on Frank Lampard. Thomas Tuchel has been appointed. He took his first training session yesterday. Uh, the Chelsea players in the video that I saw looked to be very much enjoying it and looked quite surprised at the amount of tactical involvement that he, that he had and the patterns of play he was trying to establish early on. Clearly things they weren't used to. Um, we've had yet more defence of Frank Lampard. Harry Redknapp has come out and questioned the credentials of Thomas Tuchel. This is Harry Redknapp who spent 40 years in management and his sole trophy uh, of note is an FA Cup won with Portsmouth he did win promotion twice once with Portsmouth and once with QPR he also helped bankrupt Portsmouth brought uh, QPR to the verge of bankruptcy and had Birmingham rolling very much in that direction as well the man has a career win ratio or win percentage of 40% from nearly 1400 games it's not particularly good and you would think that maybe Harry should have a look at his own credentials before questioning those of Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel, as I said yesterday, multiple times qualified for the Europa League with Mines, uh, turned things around at Dortmund, put new life back into a squad that had kind of run its course under Jurgen Klopp, back-to-back league titles with Paris Saint-Germain, including breaking multiple records uh, while doing so, and made it to a Champions League final where his team were the only team to lay a hand on Bayern Munich across the entire uh, reign of Hansi Flick last season and probably should have won the game. If Neymar and Mbappe take the chances, we're sitting here today talking about Thomas Tuchel as a Champions League winning manager. So there's absolutely no doubt that Tuchel is an enormous upgrade on Frank Lampard, who has no managerial credentials. One season at Derby, made the playoffs good, not great. One full season at, at Chelsea took them backwards and then this season where he had one win against a top-half team and left the team in ninth position. They're now 10th. Um, Jonathan Northcroft, who I like, I think he's a very good journalist, but he's come out with some nonsense as well. He says, looking again at Lampard's record at Chelsea, played 84, won 44, drawn 17 and lost 23. Look at Jurgen Klopp's record at Liverpool. Uh, 84 games, 
141, drawn 27, lost 16. He lost to Hull and Leicester in his next three games, leaving him outside the top four. Having finished eighth at the end of the season, he arrived. Would Abramovich have kept him? Uh, he says, now I'm not saying Lampard is Klopp, but he showed plenty of good qualities to be a really good Premier League manager. Yes, flaws too, but as a bright guy, I'd back him to learn. Defence of the Chelsea approaches, they win trophies, but is football changing? Won FA Cups in 16-17, right? Well, let's let's work backwards. They won the Europa League in 18-19, um, which he, he ignores. Um, we didn't see any qualities from Lampard that showed him to be a good Premier League manager. Not one. What we saw was a tactically inept manager out of his depth with poor in-game management, minimal preparational work, relying on talent to carry his team. Um, the ca- comparison to Klopp is nonsense. Klopp did finish in eighth in his first season. He also took over in October. He didn't have summer in preseason. He didn't spend any money in the January. They brought in Marco Grujic. He made it to two cup finals and sacrificed the league to go for the Europa League. Um, he took over a dumpster fire of a squad, whereas Lampard took over a team that had finished third and won the Europa League. And yes, they lost Eden Hazard, but he also was given a welcome to the club present of Christian Pulisic, who cost $65 million. He was given a returning Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham, who the previous manager had not had access to. And <clears throat> apparently, Sarri was not the one who designed, decided to loan them out. They were loaned out by the club, who felt they weren't ready for first-team football yet. Sarri didn't have a say in the matter. So Lampard was given three good players on arrival, was also given the permanent signing of Matteo Kovacic. And I've said this before, when you have a player in on loan, you're never likely to get the full commitment of that player because they don't know if their long-term future's at the club. And they don't want to commit themselves fully and risk getting injured and risk scuppering a permanent move or a move elsewhere the following season. At most, you'll get about 80%. Lampard got full commitment from Kovacic, which is why last season Kovacic was one of the very best midfielders in the league. So to compare the circumstances that Lampard walked into to what Klopp walked into after Brendan Rodgers had basically ruined that Liverpool squad uh, is ridiculous. Let's let's look at the players in the current Liverpool team who were playing under Brendan Rodgers. Trent was in the academy. Rodgers hadn't given him a look. Henderson was in midfield. And Firmino was playing right wing. Everybody else arrived. Oh, Joe Gomez was playing left back. Left back. So Gomez is now in a different position. Henderson plays a different role. And Firmino has been put in his proper position. But that's three players from Liverpool's best 11. Lampard wasn't going to change eight of Chelsea's players. He wasn't just wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to change eight of that team to get them into... Uh, he didn't need to change eight of them, I should say, to get them to be a title-caliber team. He didn't need to completely reinvent the squad behind them either. He didn't need to change the mentality or the atmosphere because it was a winning team. Um, Chelsea win trophies. That's what they do. Five league titles, five FA Cups, three league cups, a Champions League and two Europa Leagues in the 18 years, 17 and a half, 18 years that Abramovich has been owner. So to compare what uh, Lampard took over 
to what Klopp took over is ridiculous. And only four times has Roman given a manager more time than he gave Frank. Mourinho the first time. He won a league title his first year and his second year. He finished third his third year and he fired him early in his fourth year. Carlo Ancelotti won a double his first year, fired him after his second year. Antonio Conte won the title. Actually, sorry, Mourinho the second time is the third manager. He didn't win the title the first time, but did win it the second time or the second season and was sacked early in the next season. And then Conte, who won the title his first season and was sacked after a second season. So the only managers that Abramovich has allowed to see out two seasons have either won the title in their first year or are Mourinho, who did it the first time and they'd beg to come back. Lampard is none of those people. He's not anywhere near the level of manager of those he that has uh, have succeeded him or pre- preceded him, I should say. So... The arguments towards Lampard are just, they're null and void. They're non-existent, they're stupid, and um, they wouldn't be made for a manager who wasn't Frank Lampard. Simple as that. That's enough of that. Best of luck to Thomas Tuchel. Chelsea are the real deal uh, now. They've got a real manager. They've got really talented players. They still have holes in the team. Centre-back, holding midfield. You probably want a better goalkeeper as well. But they've got a real manager now and they will be back in the mix for top four. They weren't in the mix for top four under Frank. They will be now. Uh, Four games last night in the Premier League. Too early, too late. We'll start with Newcastle against Leeds. Uh, Leeds get the win here. 2-1 victory over the tune. Uh, Goals from Rafinha and Jack Harrison. Both very, very good goals. Uh, Miguel, Miguel Almiron, goal sandwiched in between them. This was a good game of football, and Newcastle actually tried to win the game, which was the strangest thing that I've seen in quite a while. Newcastle actually showing some ambition, actually playing with purpose. Notable, there was no Andy Carroll in the team. Very much a 4-2-3-1 for the tune, with uh, Frazier playing as a 10, Almiron and Murphy in wide roles, and, and Callum Wilson back up front by himself. It was probably Newcastle's or close to Newcastle's strongest 11. Uh, Hayden at right back, not ideal. He's much better in midfield, but he, he did a good job there. Jeff Hendrick and, and John Joe Shelby played well in midfield. I thought Newcastle looked balanced. They played some good football. As I've been saying, they're capable of much more than Steve Bruce has been allowing them to do. But they ran into a good Leeds team. Now, it's not all good for Leeds in that Diego Loriente, who's finally who had finally got fit again, having signed in the summer and barely been fit enough to train. Um, went off clutching his hamstring after about eight minutes. So he looks like he'll be back on the shelf for a little while. For Leeds, uh, it's a it's a great win. Anytime you can win away from home in the Premier League is good. And they've obviously had some struggles away from home this season. Um, this win pushes them up into 12th position. So, you know, three wins from the last five. They're going to be very, very happy with how things are going. They obviously need to sort the defence out. They, the injuries are, are killing them at the back. But going forward, they're so much fun. They're a threat to score against anybody. And they've got creative, inventive players all over the place with Rafinha, Rodrigo and Harrison. And Jack Harrison, he's he's a lovely player to watch. He's got a lovely arrogance about how he goes about his business. Knows he's got the talent and technique. Like his goal, it's a great ball to him from Rafinha. 
it's a great first touch, and then he just bends it with the outside of his foot, really nonchalantly past Carl Darlow, and doesn't really even celebrate. Just sort of, you know, shrugs his shoulders like, "Yeah, that's what I do." Uh, he's a very good player, and hopefully Leeds will get to keep him permanently. He's on loan from City for the third season in a row, I think. So you'd imagine that this time they'll they'll keep him permanently for the tune. They are in 16th position now. Um, they're level on points with Burnley, but Burnley do have two games in hand. They're two points clear of Brighton, but Brighton have a game in hand. And they're only seven points clear of Fulham, who have two games in hand. So not looking rosy for Newcastle. Not looking rosy for them at all at the moment. Um, their form has been fairly atrocious. Like This comes off the back of a defeat to Villa, defeat to Arsenal, defeat to Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United. They went out of the cup to Arsenal. They lost to Leicester. The last point they took was against Liverpool on the 30th of December. And before that, they'd lost two on the spin as well. They'd lost to City and they'd lost to Brentford in the uh, the EFL Cup. So things aren't going well for Newcastle. Uh, one One draw across that time period really doesn't reflect well. One draw from nine games. And uh, it doesn't reflect well on Liverpool that they're the draw either. We'll have more of that in a minute. But um, I thought something needs to change at Newcastle. Something really needs to change there. Or they are going to end up scrapping for their lives come the end of the season. You can't sustain form like that in this league. Especially this season because everybody's so bunched together all it would take is Fulham to, you know, have a couple of wins in a row, two and to have a couple more defeats, and all of a sudden they're sat next to, to Fulham, who a month ago they wouldn't have even been concerned about. It's disappointing because they started the season quite well, and, you know, even though the football wasn't great, they were picking up results, and there was flashes of Almiron and St. Maximum doing bits, and obviously Callum Wilson started the season really well, but... They've all fallen off. Uh, St. Maxim has been injured. He did come back last night and set up a great chance for uh, Jamal Lewis, who should have done better. But Leeds were deserved winners in the game. They played the better football. Um, They took better advantage of their chances. Simple as that. Newcastle got a little bit panicky at times, and there was a lot of pot shots that never really had a chance of threatening the goalkeeper. But look... Bruce either needs to figure it out or they need to figure out what they're doing and, and they need to move on from him. Uh, I don't think Rafa Benitez would go back there, but he is now available again. Frank Lampard is available. Eddie Howe has been sitting available all season. Now, Eddie Howe might get a nosebleed if he went that far north, and the same for Frank. Like I say, I don't know if Rafa would consider that job, but, I mean, there's other managers out there. There's a lot of other good managers out there that they could consider. Like, they can't just accept that this is how they are and this is what they're going to be. It's just not sustainable in this league. You're going to find yourself in the championship. You're going to lose those good players. Now, the flip side of that is that when they go to the championship, Mike Ashley tends to spend a bit of money, which is, is so strange. He's just desperate to be in the Premier League. doesn't want to spend much to stay there. He's just desperate to be there um, because all he wants to do is is rake in the, in the cash, you know. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, West Ham with a 3-2 victory over Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Wilf Zaha, who sported one of the worst haircuts you're going to see all season, uh, put the Eagles 1-0 up after three minutes before Thomas Suchek 
with a double had the Hammers 2-1 up after 25. Suchek is a, is an outside shot at player of the year right now. It might sound mad because he's playing for West Ham, but that lad is having a sensational season. And while Declan Rice gets all the hype, Suchek is the heart and soul of that team. I think he's got six or seven goals this season. Defensively, he's excellent, wins all his battles in midfield, drives that team forward. He's clever on the ball, doesn't try to do too much. He's not like some of these brainless grafters that we see who get notions about themselves and try and sling the ball here, there and everywhere. He knows what he can do and what he can't do. He stays in his lane and he's very, very effective. Uh, Craig Dawson made it uh, 3-1 three, three after Mikel Antonio had missed a hat-trick of great chances. He should have had a hat-trick. He hit the post twice and missed another sitter. Uh, but Dawson made it 3-1 three, three and at that point West Ham were, were home and happy. Michi Batshuayi with a late consolation goal. But again, you know, Palace, they're just they're disappointing at the moment. They have the talent to be more. Hodgson is Hodgson, and he has his way of playing. But, you know, that's one point from their last three. They went out of the FA Cup to Wolves. They did beat Sheffield United, but, I mean, they, they should beat Sheffield United. But, you know, the draw against Leicester was a good result. But that was Leicester's largely reserve team. Leicester was, uh, rotated heavily. They got beaten by Villa. They got walloped by Liverpool. They have draws against West Ham and Spurs earlier in um, in December, but it hasn't been a good kind of five, six weeks for Palace. Um, they need to turn things around quickly or, or they risk getting dragged back as well just because of the lay of the land, because of how tight the league is. Like they've got 23 points, but they are only four points clear of Newcastle, who I've just talked about could get dragged back into the relegation mix. If things go against Palace, they, they could easily get dragged back in. I mean, Burnley are five points behind them, but do have two games in hand. Wolves are a point behind them, and with a game in hand, you would expect Wolves, maybe not this week, because it's I think it's Chelsea, but you, you, would, you would expect Wolves to overcome Palace across the rest of the season. I think this will be Hodgson's last season. I think it's going to be his last season in football. He might move into uh, an advisory role, maybe at Palace. I think it would be, as I said before, I think it would be wise for them to appoint him to a director's role because you don't want to allow that that knowledge and those connections to leave completely. You'd obviously prefer to bring in a younger, more progressive manager. I think that's the job that Eddie Howe may have his eye on. There's talent there. There's, there's London. There's a decent amount of money to spend. I mean, they're never going to be, you know, mega rich. They're never going to throw the cash around, but they spend, they do spend a decent amount of money each, each year. Um, they could probably do it a better director of football than Doogie Friedman, who seems a little bit inept, but um, all things considered, Palace is a good club to get your hands on. If you're, if you're Eddie Howe, because there's a good basis there. You're going to clear out plenty of the deadwood this summer because a lot of them are out of contract. You've got a rabid fan base who will follow you to the ends of the earth. And like I say, London, you've got Zaha and Ezzy, people that players will want to come and play with. So all things considered, Palace need to steady the ship this season, but I do think the future is quite bright for them. For West Ham, they 
they they're just they're just on a mission to make me look bad. Uh, they're now fourth, fourth in the Premier League. Twenty games into the season, they're fourth. I thought they'd be like fourth from bottom. Uh, four wins on the spin. Things are going exceedingly well for David Moyes, who right now is the manager of the year. There's there's just no argument that through this point of the season, David Moyes is the manager of the year. Because I didn't think they'd get 35 points across the season. They have 35 points from 20 games. Um, they're, they're, Things are going very, very well for the Hammers. And uh, with Lampard gone from, from Chelsea, I don't think Chelsea will buy Declan Rice now. Because by all accounts, Lampard was the sole voice in that building pushing for Declan Rice. The rest of the club were like, no, we let him go. As a youth player, we're not paying eighty million to bring him back. That will make us look exceedingly bad. Now there'll still be others interested. Yeah, you'd imagine United would be quite interested. There's been rumours that Liverpool quite like him. I'm not sure how that works. Whether that could be Fabinho staying as the centre back for you know the long term next to Virgil Van Dijk. But if not, he doesn't really fit at City. Leicester won't spend that type of money. He doesn't really fit at Spurs. I mean, Everton, I, I just don't see them spending the money, and I don't see Arsenal spending that money. So with Lampard out at Chelsea, it's possible that they will now hang on to Declan Rice for a couple of years at least. You know, they might get to keep him for two or three years, whereas I think they were probably resigned to losing him in the summer. And that Rice-Suchek uh, pairing in midfield is the heartbeat of that team. It is what makes that team work. Everything plays off that. And uh, we're seeing great form from Ben Rama, great form from Fernals. Mikel Antonio is obviously super important to them. They need to get a striker in quickly to to allow him some rest at times. But all things considered, things are going very well for West Ham. And um, I, I am here to own up to my failures. Um, Arsenal get another good win. 3-1 over Southampton at St. Mary's. Southampton without a couple of starters. But no real excuse. Arsenal were the better team on the night. Um, only one of the, the regular back four started for for the Saints. Both fullbacks and uh, Vestergaard still out. But they went 1-0 up. Uh, Stuart Armstrong with a really good goal. Really good goal. Cross a corner from James Ward-Prowse. Armstrong meets it on the half volley and gives Leno no chance of stopping it. Like, you could have put two goalkeepers in, they weren't stopping it. It was great, 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 great goal. Good to see Danny Ings back, uh, fit and on the pitch. Arsenal were without Aubameyang last night, and it's it's a personal issue. They haven't said what it is. It seems quite serious. I hope it's not. But from the words of Arteta and the actions of the players, it does seem like they're a little bit concerned that something has gone on or something is going on uh, with him, so hopefully he's back soon because obviously you never want to see a player go through anything bad off the field. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's not too serious or nobody close to him is, is ill or anything like that. Uh, Nicholas Pepe came in and, and rewarded um, rewarded the fate of Mikel Arteta with a goal and, and a good performance playing left wing, which is unusual for him. Normally plays off the right, but with Bakayo Saka. In the form he's in, he stayed on the right and Pepe played left. And Pepe got a goal, good pass from Granit Xhaka, set him up. Saka himself got the second goal. 
went round the goalkeeper and, and scored right-footed from about 20 yards. And then Saka made the third for Alex Lacazette, who basically just allowed the ball to hit him and deflected it into the net. Um, Arsenal looked really good. They looked really, really good. They have looked good now for... Well, since they played Chelsea, they've generally looked very, very good. One disappointing result against Palace. But other than that, things are going well. Up to eighth. Now, the teams below them all have games in hand, so that will change again. But four wins out of the last five, unbeaten in five. Mikel Arteta is showing that he was the right appointment. They were right to stick with him when it looked like things were getting a little bit shaky. But again, the rise of Arsenal shows how strange the league has been this season. They were they were looking like they were in trouble not that long ago. And now you know they, they look like they're going to finish comfortably in the top half and may even push for a Europa League spot. I said at the start of the season, I thought sixth would be would be a good aim for them if they could get sixth, having finished eighth last season. Um, it, it's not outside the realms of possibility. They're only four points off Liverpool. They're five points off West, uh, West Ham, who are fourth, as I said. They've played the same amount of games. I mean, Arsenal will, will look at West Ham and think, we can take five points more than you in the second half of the season. I don't think either will get top four. I don't think either will really challenge for top four as we go further into the season. But they'll fancy themselves to to do well and, and to continue on this upward trajectory. And then um, the final game of the evening was uh, West Brom against Manchester City. And City rolled... I mean, they rolled over them. It wasn't even a contest. 5-0 to City. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan gets two. Jao Canseo gets one. Mares and Sterling complete the, the, the route. Gundogan might be the most informed player in the league as things stand. He's got seven goals in his last nine Premier League games. Or seven. Seven and eight or seven and nine. Either way, for a central midfielder, that is remarkable. Um, Jao Canseo continues to play well. His goal had a lot of controversy around it. Uh, Sean Massey, who I think is the best referee's assistant in the league, uh, raised her flag on an offside. West Brom stopped playing and Joe Canseo scored. Now, it's a couple of issues. Massey's not meant, my, my interpretation of it is she's not meant to raise her flag until play goes dead. But... The referee didn't blow his whistle. So for the West Brom players to stop playing is just massively unprofessional. Now, Allardyce, he's obviously done brilliant work in the past at keeping teams up, and it is what he does. He's very, very good at it. Blackburn, Sunderland, Palace, he'll claim Everton, but no, not really. But those other three, for sure, he did great work to keep them up. But it's not going well at West Brom. It really is not going well for him at West Brom. And unfortunately for them, it does look a little bit like some of the players have sort of given up. And that, you know, their stopping playing last night when they saw a flag was sort of symptomatic of, of what their season has been. Sam took over on the 16th of December after the last time they played City, where there was a one-all draw. They lost 3-0 to Aston Villa and things were going okay until Livermore got sent off and then it kind of fell apart they conceded two late goals you could excuse that 
Then they got a point against Liverpool, which was a great point for them. Now looks dreadful for Liverpool. Really, really dreadful for Liverpool. Then they got walloped 5-0 by Leeds at home. They got walloped 4-0 by Arsenal at home. They went to Molyneux and beat Wolves. They got a little bit of assistance from the officials in the match, but it was a great win for them. They lost 2-1 at West Ham, and then they've been thumped um, 5-0 by City. So under Sam, they've played four home games. They've conceded 17 goals in four home games. That is just... You're not staying in the Premier League if that's your, your home record. Bear in mind they've conceded 48 all season. So in the other 16 games, they've conceded 31. So in those 16, they're averaging... So pre-Sam and Sam away games, they're averaging just under two goals conceded a game. In Sam home games, they're averaging over four goals conceded a game. Uh, I saw a good start last night from Richard Jolly, uh, well worth a follow on Twitter, always has... No, it wasn't from him, it was from Duncan Alexander. Duncan Alexander. Richard Jolly's a great follow. So is Duncan Alexander. I think his handle is at Oily Sailor. Um, in the history of the Premier League, 4.5% of all goals scored have been scored against teams managed by Sam Allardyce or Steve Bruce. I thought that was brilliant. I really, really made me smile. Because... Uh, I mean, they're not coming to play attacking football, yet they're conceding goals for fun. They have by far the worst defensive record in the league. Um, they're second from bottom. The team below them, obviously, Sheffield United, they've conceded 16 less. Palace have the second worst defensive record in the league. That's largely down to that 7-0 against Liverpool, but they've conceded 12 less. Leeds, whose defence has been terrible, have conceded 13 less. Nobody is close to West Brom. Nobody. Their defensive record is a shambles. They're on track to concede over 90 goals this season, which is just embarrassing. I said before the season, I said through the window, they need to sort that defense out or they're going to have major problems. They didn't sort it out. They brought in the corpse of Branislav Ivanovic and he has been, he's been a shambles and he can't play all the time because he's, 73 years of age so their defence is a mess they need to sort it out for City City look like they're going to win the league and they look like they're going to win the league quite comfortably they went top uh, with that victory United obviously can can retake top position but now they've played the same amount of games uh, City do have that one point advantage um, I think it's six wins on the spin for City and they're looking very, very comfortable. Scoring goals, not conceding many. Not conceding any, as as things stand in the Premier League. Uh, this is their fourth consecutive clean sheet in the Premier League. And their seventh consecutive win, I think. I think they've won every game since they played West Brom the last time. They beat Southampton. They beat Newcastle. They beat Chelsea. They beat Brighton. They beat Palace. They beat Villa. And then West Brom. Yeah, they've won every game since they played West Brom the last time. Um, and they've obviously made great progression in the EFL Cup and they're progressing in the FA Cup. Sheffield United and Burnley next. I mean, they're going to they're gonna start opening up a bit of a lead here. Um, 
they're taking advantage of the fact that Liverpool have fallen off a cliff and that the rest of the teams are somewhat inconsistent. It is a bit crazy that there's no team in the league who has dropped points on less than seven occasions. City have five draws and two defeats. United have four draws, three defeats. Leicester, two draws, five defeats. West Ham, five, five draws, five defeats. Liverpool, seven draws, three defeats. Uh, um, Spurs, six draws, three defeats. Everton have only played 17 games, two draws, five defeats. Arsenal, three do- draws, eight defeats. And Villa, who again have only played 17 games, two draws and six defeats. So everybody's dropping points. This run by City is the most consistent run we've seen any team have this season. And they're without De Bruyne at the moment. They're going to be without him for a few weeks, but they have so much quality, so much strength and depth. And look, when you've when you spent that type of money, you should have a squad capable of dealing with a couple of absences. But um, credit to Pep, he's doing a, a tremendous job this season, as, as you would expect from, from Pep Guardiola. I did see something, though, that didn't annoy me, but it bothered me a little bit. Um, Gary Lineker, who, again, I've said before, I love Gary Lineker. I think he's great at what he does. But he said, he tweets out yesterday, Joe Canseo is a fine example of a really good player made even better by Pep Guardiola. Improves pretty much every player. They paid $65 million for him. He's no better now than he was at Juve. And he hasn't been playing like this all season. He had a good couple of games early in the season. Then he fell out of favour because he was playing poorly. He's come back in now. And he is playing well over the last five, six games. Any claims that he's been the best right back in the league all season are nonsense because he hasn't played there for the majority of the season. But all things considered, like, you pay $65 million for a fullback you're getting a really good player, like a really, really good player. You're not buying a scrub. So it got me thinking, like, does Pep improve every player? Because I don't think he does. And when you look at, like, the squad he inherited, Claudio Bravo didn't include, didn't improve him. Um, Sanya, Zabaleta, they were past the best, wasn't going to improve them. Didn't improve Fernando. He has improved Raheem Sterling, but a lot of that is natural progression as well. Uh, Gundogan's having a great run but has he improved him like he's been a little bit disappointing for most of his tenure at City injuries have played a part uh, Aguero was great before he got him didn't improve Navas I think De Bruyne was the best player in the league uh, you, you would say yeah he did improve them no in fairness he did improve them um, Leroy Sané he improved John Stones hasn't improved under him um, I don't think Gabby Jesus has improved under him. Like a lot of the other young players that were there, I I don't think improved under Pep. This is not to disparage Pep. I just don't think it's true that he improves every player or pretty much every player. You know, the signings he made in the summer of 2017 when City, of course, you know, spent quite a bit of money as they're wont to do. When you have that type of money, it's, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, you know, they bring in Bernardo Silva. I don't think he's better now than he was at Monaco. Ederson, natural progression would, would hint that as a goalkeeper, 
in his early 20s, he would get better as he reaches his mid-20s. Kyle Walker hasn't improved. He's gotten a bit better defensively, but he's not as good going forward. He didn't improve Danilo, didn't improve Benjamin Mendy. America Laporte's not a better defender now than he was when he was at Bilbao. He's a better footballer, but he's not a better defender. Um, he's better passer of the ball, and he reads the game a bit better. So you, you give Pep credit, but again, the majority of the players signed there haven't improved under him. The following summer, Riyad Mahrez is no better now than he was when he arrived. Um, didn't really sign anybody else that summer. The, a bunch of players for the youth team. Mahrez was sort of was sort of it in what was a down year for City in the market, an unusual year for City in the market as well to only spend big on one player. Um, look at nineteen twenty. Angelino didn't improve him. Rodri hasn't improved him. I don't think Joe can say it was better now than he was when he arrived. Simple as that. And Zach Steffens barely played. So, you know, it's hard to judge whether he's any better now. He was certainly a good goalkeeper when they bought him. And then this summer just gone. I mean, I know Aki's been injured, but he's not, he hasn't improved. Ferran Torres hasn't improved. Ruben Diaz has been great, but Pepsi had him six months. How much has he actually improved him? I think Diaz is what he was at Benfica. I think there's a lot more to come from him. I think he's going to be world class. But again, Pep won't improve him much as a defender. He'll improve his all round game. The footballing side of things is what will come. It's why you're seeing a lot of John Stones at the minute as well. The balance of Stones, the footballer, and his ability to pass out from the back, and Diaz, the defender, is what's working. It's why. Laporte is a much better defender than John Stones. He's just not as good a ball player as Stones, and Pep wants that that ball player in there. I think eventually it will shake out that Diaz and Laporte. But as I say, I, I don't think it's true that he improves pretty much every player. I think he improves a lot of players, but not pretty much every player. No manager improves pretty much every player. Even like Klopp, Simeone, they don't do it either. The majority of players that come through, it's either natural progression as they age, they stay the same, or they drop off. There's a handful of examples of players that they took to a new level. But you know, sometimes we give managers too much credit for players' improvements. Sometimes it is just natural progression. A 19-year-old should, barring injuries, be better by the time they reach 23 than they are at 19. Regardless of what they have around them, they should get better. Um, Pep is one of the all-time great managers. I just think that is needless lip service from from Mr. Lineker. But yeah, like I say, City, City look like they're a fair bet to win the league this season. Um, Liverpool have fallen off a cliff. United aren't good enough to win the league. And I don't think they're going to finish second or third either. I don't think Leicester quite have the depth that City do. They've got a really good first 11 and one or two good depth pieces, but I don't think they've got the depth to sustain a title challenge. Spurs probably do, but the mentality doesn't seem to be there. Jose's far too conservative with this group, and he's cost them a lot of points. Nine points this season, I, th- I think they've dropped from favor- favorable positions. Uh, Fulham, Palace, Newcastle, and West Ham games they should have won and they dropped points in because they got too conservative. And the Liverpool game, one all, really should have gotten a draw, got far too defensive and really just 
invited Liverpool onto them and uh, and ended up losing. But that that was a point they could have got if they had, you know, if they had even eight of those points. Um, forgetting the Liverpool one, they should have won the other four games. They would be joint top with City with a game in hand on them. And I think that's where Spurs would have expected to be, given everything else that's gone on, given how inconsistent everybody else has been. Um, so that's it for those games. There are games tonight as well. There's quite a few. There's five, I think, tonight. Um, we have Chelsea against Wolves. Thomas Tuchel's first game. Wolves obviously in poor form, but so are Chelsea. The new manager bounce could be could be a big thing here for Chelsea. You would imagine that under Tuchel, uh, the players will have more instruction, more of a clue of what they're expected to do and you know, probably more confidence in themselves as well because um, that's what he does. He breeds confidence into a squad. Chelsea are 10th, Wolves are 14th. Neither will have seen themselves in those posi- positions at the start of the season. Chelsea need to win more because it's, you know, it's Tuchel's first game. They've just sacked Lampard. They need the win. Wolves, they're going to be all right. They'll they'll sort things out. Now they've got a real striker in the door to, to play instead of Jimenez. They should be fine, but... I don't think this is the game where Wolves find their form, but I think it is the game where Chelsea begin to to move in the right direction. Burnley against Villa, that's also a six o'clock kickoff. Burnley have been much improved, obviously, over the last 10, 11 games uh, than they were in the first six games. They are currently 15th. Villa are ninth. There is 10 points separating them. Villa will fancy themselves to win that game, but Burnley at home is never going to be easy. Burnley coming in full of confidence after beating Liverpool at Anfield and ending Liverpool's unbeaten run. Um, A draw seems like a possibility there for me. And then you get Brighton and Fulham in what's a must-win game for both. It really is a must-win game for both. If Brighton win, they could go as high as 15th and push Newcastle back down into 17th. If Fulham win they'll only be two points behind Brighton. They will have properly closed that gap on those above them. A Fulham win here makes things much more interesting because then the gap to Newcastle is only four points. And as I said, with the form Newcastle are in, they don't look like winning anytime soon. It would give them a four-point cushion on West Brom below them and they'd still have a game in hand. So... I think for Fulham, it's must win. Maybe for Brighton, it's more must not lose. Brighton can probably get a draw here and get away with it. But look at home to a bottom three team when you've only won three games all season. Brighton need to push for this win. Um, Manchester United play Sheffield United second versus 20th. Look, if United don't win this game, I'll be stunned. Sheffield United have been desperate this season. One win and two draws. Five points scored, or five points uh, gained. Only 16 goals scored all season. No, I'm wrong. Sorry, 10 goals scored all season. 10 goals scored all season. 16 defeats. That's what they have. 16 defeats. 16. How bad do you have to be to lose 16 games from 19? Like, to lose 16 from 38 would be terrible, and you'd probably almost certainly get relegated. To lose. 16 from 19 is an abomination. They're well on track to uh, 
take the title of worst Premier League team ever from that mess of a Derby County team in 07, 08, I think. 05, 06, 07, 08. I think it's 07, 08. The team that came up under Billy Davies, who was then sacked, and Paul Jewell took over. There's two managers you never hear about anymore. I think I, neither of them managed in years. <clears throat> to my knowledge, Paul Jewell's last two game, two jobs have been as an assistant manager. Billy Davies managed um, Forrest twice, weirdly, after leaving Derby. I don't think he's done anything in about six years. So it's weird, isn't it, though? You get managers that manage in the Premier League and then can't get lower league jobs. Maybe they don't want them, but, I mean, surely you want to be doing something. Anyway, United are second. United are winning this game comfortably. They've got 40 points this season. That is 35 more than Sheffield United. That is a West Ham more than Sheffield United. Uh, United have four wins in the last five, unbeaten in five. They beat Liverpool in the Cup at the weekend, and they will be full of confidence. Uh, they'll also want to regain top spot from City. It'd be quite embarrassing if they didn't. They have to win to regain top spot because City have a far superior goal difference. But um, I think that one's a pretty safe bet. And then the game of the night is Everton against Leicester. So Leicester are third in the league and in really good form. Three wins in a row, unbeaten in five. Everton have four wins out of their last five. Uh, they did lose one of those game, one of the games in the last five, but they've been really, really good as well. They do have two games in hand on Leicester, which if they were to win both of them, now one of them games is City and the other is Villa. So they're, they're both very difficult games, so you wouldn't fancy them to win both. But they could win one. Um, if they were to win one, that would put them up into fourth. If they won both, it would put them level on points with Leicester on 38 points. They'll know that a win tonight pushes them above Liverpool and they'll have a game in hand. So that that alone will be, you know, plenty of uh, spur for that Everton team. I think it's going to be a cracker, a cracker of a game. Two very good teams, both play good football. Two managers are sort of the opposite end of things in that Brendan has a big reputation but doesn't have the trophies in major leagues to back it up. Carlo has all the trophies but his reputation has taken a hit after you know getting sacked by um by Bayern then Napoli didn't go anywhere near how he planned and then obviously takes the Everton job and we'll see how how it works out over the the longer term. He's he's there over a year now though. That's gone quick. Um, and things have gone really well so far. He's he's done a great job, but you know his reputation is not where it should be. Not it's not of someone of his standing. He deserves to be seen a lot higher in the game. And Rogers is seen oddly high when he's still a bit of a spoofer. If we're being honest, he's still a bit of a spoofer. Uh, he's doing really well this season, and credit to him. But you know, show me your real medals outside. There's the thing, actually, just. Before I go on, sorry to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but if Brendan Rodgers had been given the the job at Chelsea, the likes of Harry Redknapp wouldn't be coming out questioning his credentials. But Thomas Tuchel, who's done far more in the game and done it at a far higher level, is disparaged. Brendan won leagues at Celtic when they had no competition. They were incredible. They broke records. But it's just Scottish League. The French League might be seen by some as a farmer's league, but it's a far stronger league 
than what goes on in Scotland. So, you know, let's put that to bed. Brendan has the reputation that Tuchel deserves, is basically what I'm trying to say here. Um, but I think this will be a great game. I think this is the game of the night, an 8.15 kickoff. And I think uh, I think we'll all probably watch, watch that one live. Um, how am I going to watch five games tonight? That's going to be... I'm not sleeping tonight. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip and we'll, we'll let you all go about your busy days. So, uh, obviously, as always, stealing from the BBC. Thank you for collating this for me, gentlemen. Uh, Tottenham have made contact with Paris Saint-Germain over Angel Di Maria, who's available on a free... No, so they've made contact with him directly because he's available on a free transfer this summer. I think he would fit quite well at Spurs. If they're not going to keep Bale, or even if they are going to keep Bale, you could have both. But him on that right-hand side, because he, he does work exceptionally hard, loves to cut in field and, and shoot with his left foot, he could be a really good fit there. I don't imagine his wages are going to be pretty, though. And you'd have to imagine he's going to want very, very high wages. Um, PSG still hope to sign Spurs and England midfielder Deli Ali uh, on loan for the rest of the season. Spurs are considering... Florian Newhouse is a replacement. Well, first of all, Florian Newhouse plays a completely different position to Delhi Ali. Secondly, there's not a hope that Gladbach are going to sell him in the middle of the season. Uh, Ali wants to join his former boss at PSG, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, new manager, new Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel has RB Leipzig in France defender Deirup Meccano at the top of his list of targets. I mean, how do you know that? How did, he he's been in the job. He hasn't even been in the job twenty four hours. As I record this, he's been in the job about eighteen hours. So nobody knows who his targets are, unless you've spoken to him directly. Nobody knows. He won't even talk to the ownership about that yet. Um, Frank Lampard's sacking has also left West Ham confident that Chelsea's interest in Declan Rice will end. That's from the Telegraph. Um, I, I swear I don't have a subscription to the Telegraph because, well, you know, Tories and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I had a feeling that would be the case. The Blues remain determined to sign Erling Haaland. I mean, that's from the mail, so it's most likely nonsense. Uh, but, you know, whoever gets Haaland is, is going to get an incredible player. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not expecting any arrivals before the January transfer deadline. Yeah, that's been the case since October, United were pretty much telling their minions in the media that they wouldn't be signing anybody, uh, likely because they don't think Ali's going to be the long-term fixture. and They're not going to give him any more money to spend. Tottenham have been linked with a move for 29-year-old Napoli and Serbia centre-back Nikola Maksimovic, who is at a contract at the end of the season. Uh, he's a good centre-back. Spurs are pretty loaded at centre-back, though. They've got five already. Um, in Toby, Dyer, Davinson, Joe Roden, and Jaffa Tanganga. So centre-back isn't what... The, if they were going to buy a starting centre-back to go with Toby, uh, you'd you know, you'd know you kind of believe it, but they're not going to sign with a squad centre-back. That'd be ridiculous. Leicester City are increasingly hopeful of signing long-term target James Tarkovsky this summer. The 28-year-old England defender, 17 months left in his contract, and is yet to commit to a new deal with the Clarets who have previously rejected bids from Leicester and West Ham. I would have thought that interest died when they signed Fafana. Now, it may be that they 
don't think Fafana will stay long term because he's going to have suitors and they may be looking at Sionchu and thinking well you know there'll be a lot of clubs in for him as well but I wouldn't have said that spending whatever it'll take 35 40 million to get Tarkovsky would be a good use of Leicester's resources this summer when they have other needs such as finding a successor to Casper uh, Schmeichel sorting out that right wing spot and finding a, a backup slash long-term successor to Vardy. I think that's just a rehash of a story from the summer. I wouldn't put too much faith in it. But I do think Tarkovsky probably leaves Burnley this summer because if he's not going to sign a new deal, they're not going to let him run his contract down. So uh, I would expect if West Ham are still in the mix from the summer, I think that's where he goes. Speaking of West Ham, they are apparently trying to turn the Ben Rama deal, which is currently a loan with an option to buy, into a permanent transfer. So it looks like they're trying to open up a, a loan spot, which may be for Jesse Lingard. Um, Bayer Leverkusen have agreed personal terms with Damari Gray. Uh, Crystal Palace and Marseille are currently also interested. He, like I said before, he needs a change of scenery. So wherever he goes is, um, is going to be a fresh start for him. Belgian striker Christian Benteke is expected to stay at Crystal Palace despite interest from West Brom. I would imagine I would imagine that Palace would like him to leave because he's on big money and he's not very good. But he's not going to want to go to West Brom because they're going down and he's not going to go play in the championship. And West Brom won't pay any money for a player that they're going to have to release in six months. Uh, so, yeah, it makes sense that he wouldn't go there, but... Palace need to get rid of him. This this is brilliant, though. The Eagles have prepared to offer him a new deal to discourage clubs from making a new offer. He's been dreadful since they signed him. Dreadful. Why would you give him a new contract? It makes no sense. At his age, at his performance level, why would you give him a new contract? Let him leave in the summer. Chelsea fullback Baba Rockman is set to be the first player to leave since Lampard's uh, exit with the Ghana International set to join Greek club PAOK Salonika on loan. Baba Rachman is somehow only 26 years of age. Now, for those that have forgotten who he is, they signed him from Schalke. I think it was Schalke. Was it Schalke? No, Augsburg. They signed him from Augsburg in 2015 for about 20 million, 22 million. Six years ago. And he's played 15 games in the Premier League for them and 23 in all competitions. Oh, he spent three seasons on loan. Well, two and a half seasons on loan with Schalke. That's why I was confused. Yeah. So he's barely played for them. He's been lost in the shuffle. He played 26 games across his time with Schalke. 21 the first season, won the second season. I can only assume he's injured, or why would you let him go back there on loan for another season? Uh, he's been on loan at Reims and at Mallorca, neither of which seemed to have gone all that well. 11 games for Reims, 5 for Mallorca. I genuinely thought he had left Chelsea a couple of years ago. Um a super talented player when he was when he was breaking through has 28 Ghanaian caps only four since 2016 that move to Chelsea is the worst thing that could have happened to his career 
But at the age of 26, hopefully he can turn things around. I'm not sure a move to PAOK Salinica is the the kickstart his career needs. But look, it is what it is. Uh, Manchester City and Manchester United are in a race to sign Palmeiras forward Gabby Varon. Both clubs are in negotiations with the Brazilian with Barca unlikely to act. It's because Barca are penniless. They're one point. Two billion, I think it is, in debt, which is just insane. Uh, uh, look, nobody's paying fifty odd million for an eighteen-year-old to try and bring him to England. So, if City or United can get him on a good deal, they'll probably do it. But otherwise, uh, he probably ends up at Real Madrid. They they love to sign young Brazilian young Brazilian lads. Arsenal are up against Barca for the signing of Eric Garcia. He's going to Barca. He's going to Barca on a free. So forget about it, Arsenal. You don't want him anyway. I can't defend. Uh, Manchester United win, winger Facunde Palestri is set to leave Old Trafford on loan with Club Bruges and Alaves both interested. Uh, Club Bruges would make sense. You know, they're a well-run club. They've got a decent investment in the squad. They've got a good team. And the Belgian league is a strong league. So I think uh, that would make good sense for him right now in his career. Everton are in competi- competition with Parma. Uh, for the signature of Bayern Munich striker Joshua Zerke. Everton are thought to have offered to take the Netherlands in Youth International on loan with an option to buy set at more than £8.9 million. I mean, he's very, very talented. And it's strange that Bayern are prepared to let him go. Even stranger if they're prepared to let him go on a perm, like with an option to buy or anything like that. Everton do own a very good young striker in Moise Keane, but maybe they're going to move on from him and get Xerxes in, uh, in as the backup for um, for Calvert-Lewin. Burnley remain interested in the Toffees' English right-back, John Joe Kenny. That's been dripping on for months. Uh, either make a move or le- let the boy go somewhere else. Celtic have stepped up their, attents- uh, their attempts to secure a pre-contract n- agreement with Preston North End defender Ben Davies. Um, he's a good championship-level defender. He'll do very, very well in Scotland. But... Celtic need help now, not in the summer. And AC Milan's Argentine defender, Matteo Masaccio, will have a medical on Wednesday before a move to Serie A rivals Lazio. I have to admit, I had kind of hoped that Liverpool might try and sign him. I'd spoken before about the need for maybe just getting a Johnny Evans type who's just reliable, gives you 6 or 7 out of 10 every week, won't demand to play every week, won't expect to play every week. Now, he's had some desperate luck with injuries, but he's a very good defender when he's fit, and um, he rarely has a bad game. So that's that one out the window. That is that, then. That is the gossip. That is the games wrapped up, and that is the last we're going to have about Frank Lampard on this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle for his work as ever, and thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Check out libertyshield.com. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Have yourselves a pleasant evening, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.